Well, happy Mother's Day. What a great day. We get to celebrate and honor the mothers in our midst. And uh, I'm looking forward to this. You know, I, I was talking with someone earlier. We, we sort of have a tradition here, and uh, probably you're aware of it. But, but uh, of, of course, Mother's Day and Father's Day, they fall on Sundays, and so we preach. And, and so Mother's Day is a great time to honor and encourage mothers to, to rejoice in them, to cheer them on, and, and, uh, and things like that, right? And then Father's Day rolls around. And, and if you're a father, you know this very clearly, right? It's, it's a day where you kind of feel, you know, like you're not sure if you really want to go because it's going to be pretty rough, right? <laughs> the standard's pretty high and we kind of call out dads on Father's Day. And so, so I was telling somebody earlier this morning that um, I, I was, it's my intention to be very stern with mothers and, uh, and, and really uh, keep them in line and whatnot. And so, um, but it turns out that my own mother didn't raise a fool, so I'm not going to do that. So, uh, I'm not going to try and set a new tradition. We'll just stick, stick with the, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we are grateful that you have given mothers in our lives. The women who have uh, shaped us in very many ways, in more ways than we uh, could count. The women who have taken care of us have provided for us, have fed us, have scolded us, have disciplined us, have loved us when we have been unlovable. Lord, I thank you for mothers, and I pray that you would bless them today. And I pray that this time together would be a blessing and an encouragement to them. Lord, we uh, look to your word and we see that that, uh, you are not silent on the subject of motherhood. And so we want to look today and and learn from you, learn from your word about what you would have us know, what you would have us rejoice in and and pursue and seek and and all of those things. And so, Lord, we we need your help. This is is your day. This is is your family here, and this is your word. And I pray that you would open it to us by the power of your spirit, that we would be uh, responsive. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to set aside those things that would uh, cause us to think about tomorrow or to uh, to worry about what's coming in the future or or uh, to, to stress about what has gone in the past or be distracted by any of that stuff. We are here right now. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us be here right now in our minds and in our hearts. Lord, be honored in this time. I pray that you would be glorified in the preaching of your word and in the way we receive it. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as you're opening in your uh, Bibles, please, to Titus chapter 2. And if you, uh, if you don't have a Bible, you can use the Pew Bible that there, that's there in front of you. And uh, it's page 1193 in that Pew Bible, by the way. And, and if you don't have a Bible and you really like that one, you can take that Pew Bible. It's yours. And, uh, um, but page 1193 is where we're going to be, Titus chapter 2. You know, I, I uh, finished... When I was graduating from graduate school in 2004, May of 2004, and uh, my parents came out, it was a great time, and, and we, had, uh, we had three at the time, Gabriel wasn't here yet, and there came a time during this ceremony, it's all very, 
uh, proper and everything, and, and you know we've got the hoods on, all that. It was very neat, very uh, a fun time, and it was the it was the end of a marathon, basically. You know, grad school is kind of like a marathon, especially if you're married with kids and working and all that kind of stuff. It was just crazy. I, I hardly even remember it, but I remember the graduation ceremony, and I remember the time came during the ceremony when uh, whoever was emceeing it. W- there came a time when we were going to honor the uh, the uh, the spouses of the students, and especially the, the 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 mothers of the students, the mothers. Anyway, the the spouse of the wives who were the mothers of the kids. Anyway. I had kids and I was thinking this is a great opportunity for Steph to be honored and to be encouraged because uh, she suffered through grad school. I thought it was bad for me. But it was rough. Uh, you know, it was it was a very difficult time and we made it somehow. I was able to graduate by the grace of God and the help of my wife. And uh, and so this was going to be a time to honor her. And so I knew it was coming in the program and we were singing the last song or saying that whatever the last speech or whatever. And I knew this was coming. And right then I saw it was a pretty big auditorium. I saw Steph get up with a child that was having a difficult time and, and, and work her way to the back and have to leave and be out the back because the child was crying or having difficulty or whatever. And then the great moment came when it was time to honor the wives. And my poor wife was out there with the child and missed that whole thing. And uh, I almost cried. And just because that it was kind of typical that's sort of the sacrifice that she had made for the last couple of years to get us through that that she would go through that and so uh that was a that, that wasn't on mother's day but it was a, a memory that just occurred to me as we were singing this morning so <laughs> anyway i'm glad grad school's over with but but uh moms we get to celebrate moms today and i have i have uh three purposes three goals for our morning and they are not the same as the three points in your outline these are these are something for you to take note of the first goal that we have this morning is we want to celebrate mothers god has seen fit by his grace to give us mothers to raise us to take care of us to feed us and all the things that they do we want to celebrate mothers secondly uh, my purpose is to encourage and challenge mothers this is where i'm going to be very stern just wait for it. You just keep waiting for it to encourage and challenge mothers. And then thirdly, it turns out we're in the middle of this series about leadership development. And every leader ever has had a mother. And so I think there is great, uh, there are great principles that we can learn from looking at motherhood in Titus chapter 2. And so we want to learn some principles of leadership that, uh, that we can apply broadly, not just for moms, not just for wives, etc. So I want to look at, at uh, those three things, celebrating mothers, encouraging mothers, and then learning something about leadership development. And I want to, uh, if, if you're writing in your notes there in the introduction section, I want you to write and underline this, God values motherhood. God values motherhood. And we will get to that. So we are in Titus chapter 2, and I'm going to read for us just a couple of verses, not many. Titus chapter 2, we're going to read starting in verse 3, and I'm going to read the whole section here that we're going to cover today, and that's, uh, that's all the way through verse 5. So starting in verse 3, older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. 
And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. So first of all, you see he starts talking there to older women. In the passage, he's talking to older women, and then he gives instructions for how he wants them to be involved in the lives of younger women. And he starts off by talking about their godly behavior, their, their godly behavior that, that, uh, that he wants uh, from them. Of course, he says, he says, older women likewise, just like the men that he's been talking about who are to be dignified and sober-minded and self-controlled, etc., older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, reverent in behavior. And I, I think sometimes the idea of godliness can be uh, vague enough that it's hard for us to define. It's hard for us really to kind of to put a, a point on it. And I like the word that he uses here. Uh, they are to be reverent in behavior, that he, he wants them to have the kind of mentality that is always revering God in the decisions that they make, in, in, in the things that they do in life. There's a reverence for God. There's a, there's a, a it's almost a, a fear or a, a very great respect for who God is and that he be honored in my decisions. Reverent in behavior means uh, it's, it's an attitude of deep respect, of awe, of veneration. And, and this is what he wants for older women. This is how he wants them to live their lives, always with reference to who God is. Always with reference to who God is. And I think that's, an, uh, that's a helpful way for us to think about what is godliness. You ask, is so-and-so a godly person, or how do I grow in godliness, or how do I become godly? And I think this reverence of, of mind, which affects our, which affects our behavior, is a, a, a good handle for what is godliness. So older women are to be godly in their behavior. Second, we see that they are to be self-controlled in their habits. Self-controlled in their habits. He says older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior not slanderers or, or slaves to much wine. He wants them to be self-controlled. You see, the, the idea here is that the, uh, the older women in this group, they, they're in a position of respect, and they're in a position where they, they get to help out younger families, and they're helping out people around them, right? And so what's the temptation when you help out a lot of different people and you start learning about a lot of different people? Um, you know, even as a, even as a pastor, like there are things that I know about people that if I were to tell this person, that person's stuff, it would be problematic. There would be, right. We don't do that. Right. And so it's, it's a very difficult thing. And so, and so that's the situation that these older women are in is they're, they're respected and they're helping in this situation and they're helping in this situation and they're helping in this situation. And they're aware of all these things going on. And it's a very short trip to go from, I'm praying for this person to, I think I'm going to get my buddy to pray for this person also because they really need to know this situation, right? It's a short trip and, it, and, it, and it's, a, it's a problem of, of gossip and slander and, and anyone who knows information is tempted with that. And so he's talking here to older women and he says they, they shouldn't be slanderers, right? Yeah, they're in this position where they're privy to all kinds of information that could be harmful if it got out. And so they need to be very careful that that information not get out that they be helpful in that situation and not blur those together. The same thing with the wine. What's the deal with the, with the wine? Not, not um, slaves to much wine, he says there in the middle of, of verse 3. What, do they just have a bunch of, of drunk older women in their church? Why, like, 
Why was he talking about that? Well, I think the idea, very similar to the idea of slander, um, is, you know, they have this opportunity, they're, they're, they have proximity to that kind of information that could be then misused. It's the same thing if you've got, if you've got people who are, are in the kitchen serving, they're, they're helping, they're putting things together, they're organizing this kind of stuff, they have access to the, to the wine, right, that's going to be served for communion or that's going to be at dinner or whatever. And, and when you're working with it, you know, it's very easy to dip into it, you know. If you've ever seen someone make cookies, right? Right? All right, you know where I'm going with that, right? You wonder why this batch made so much less than the last batch. You can't, you just taste it a little bit. It couldn't have been all that much, right? So he wants them to be self-controlled in their habits. That though, though they are privy to... Uh, this, this kind of information, and though they have access to different stuff, they have great privilege. These older women are in a position where it requires a great deal of responsibility for them to behave in a self-controlled way with all of this opportunity that they have to misbehave. And so that's, that's what he's encouraging them with, is you have all manner of responsibility. Use that responsibility well. Be self-controlled in that. And don't misuse that. And so that's part of his encouragement there for, for older women. That they be reverent in behavior and not slanderers or slaves to much wine. So he wants them to be godly in behavior and self-controlled in habits. But he goes on. It's not just those character traits, but he wants them to be active in teaching. He wants them to be active in teaching. Look how he continues on that last part of verse 3 there. He says, they are to teach what is good. They are to teach what is good and so train the younger women etc and so there's an activity that goes with this right they're to be of a certain character they're to have certain behaviors right the gospel has borne fruit in their lives as they've lived years walking with christ they have godly character they're self-controlled and they are to be active in teaching and and this is where we get really to the the crux of the argument right because if if they are just godly people self-controlled people but not passing that on to anyone, who, whom are they benefiting? There's some, there's some transfer that's missing, right? So it's taken, it's taken this woman 40, 50, 60 years to walk with God like this. And then now she's, she's godly in this sort of fashion. She's self-controlled in this kind of way, and she's a very respectable woman, right? And if she doesn't reach back and help out the younger women, then there's something lost, she spent all that time learning it, and then, she, and then she kept it to herself if she didn't pass it on, right? So it benefits her, it benefits her immediate circle, but we all lose out. And so that's what he's talking about here. He, he, wants, he wants these older women to be active in teaching. Think about all the things that, uh, that an, an older woman can teach a younger woman, right? How many paths have you walked down that you could, you could help a younger woman skip the pitfalls right dodge some potholes and that's what he wants them to do that's what he's encouraging these older women to do is you have walked a hard road and you have learned of jesus and you've learned how jesus is faithful in very difficult situations through pain through suffering through loss or betrayal when life just has gotten long and you have seen Jesus be faithful. You've learned. Imagine how you could turn back to some younger woman 
who's right at the beginning of that same trail you just walked? What kind of advice could you give? What kind of help could you give? What kind of instruction that would be practical for life that would help her skip some of the things that you went through? That would help her know how to deal with various situations, this kind of hardship or this kind of betrayal, this kind of temptation, how to dodge that bullet, pass that on. And that's what he's encouraging these women to be doing, to be active in teaching. One of the things about the Christian life that, that um, I'm slowly learning, you know, some things I pick up very quickly and other things I, it takes me forever to learn. And this is one of them I'm slow in learning. The Christian life, it turns out, is not about me. So you guys probably all knew that, that it wasn't about me because <laughs> you think it's about you, right? But it's not, right? It's not. We have been called to be a family, right? He has called us together. He has called us out and we are to be together. That's what fellowship is about. And we are Parkside Bible fellowship, right? We're a, we're a family. And so that investment in each other is something that I'm slow in learning because I really kind of am all about my own agenda. And, and uh, it turns out that that's not really God's agenda. And it's the same thing for us. When we go through life and we learn something, we need to be passing that on to other people. We need to be helping those around us. We need to be uh, encouraging them as they walk that same kind of path that we've been walking. Imagine the benefit to the younger generations. So older women in the church are to be godly and self-controlled and actively involved in mentoring younger women. So what is it that they're supposed to be teaching these younger women? That's the question. Well, we, we see that there in verse 4. Right, uh, finishing up verse three, they are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. So, what is it that's to be taught? Well, first of all, it, it, it's instruction in family relationships, instruction in family relationships. I love how he starts that, that instruction there. He says that they're to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children. Now, an interesting thing is that normally, generally speaking, a wife doesn't have to be taught to love her husband or to love her children. That's, that's not really what, what moms are lacking. That's not what wives are lacking. They, they, they love their, their husband and will love him through thick and thin. Whether they like him all the time is a different question. But they love him, right? And the same thing with kids. They love their kids and they would do anything for their kids, though they might want to smack them around occasionally. But they love their kids. And I, I think what he's getting at here is that, just like I was talking about, this older, this older woman who has gone down the road, she has learned how to love her husband when he's unlovable. When he's done this, when he's done that, when he hasn't done this. Right when he showed up to church, and that was the first time he realized it was Mother's Day, that you know, she's going to have to love him in a special way at that time, right? And and that's that's kind of what is going on here is that an, an older woman can can look at a younger woman's life and say, I remember when my husband was in grad school, it was miserable. I didn't see him. He was gone 16 hours a day, whatever. Right? She's been down that road before, and she can help this younger woman know how to love her husband in that situation, right? Or when the husband gets fired from his job or he loses his job or financially something collapses or whatever, 
and he's miserable, right? This older woman's thinking, I have been in that situation and I have, I have loved my husband when he has been miserable. And I can help this younger woman love her husband in that context. Through loss, through difficulty, through pain, through betrayal, she has learned how to love her husband and she can pass that on to this younger woman who is just coming up. And this is the first time this has ever happened, right? And she's trying to blaze her own trail and she doesn't know what to do and she's trying. And older women, you have opportunity to step in and speak into that situation and say, I I remember what it was like in grad school. I remember what it was like when we had no money. I remember what it was like when my husband lost his job or whatever, lost his health. I remember, and I know how to love him through that. And I can help you love your husband through that. Well, the same thing with kids, right? For, for those of us, the first time we ever have teenagers, it's like the world just changed entirely and no one warned us, you know, because we're the first one ever to experience teenagers as kids, you know? And, and so, uh, th- that poor young mom doesn't have to be left alone to figure that out. Right? So older women help her through that situation, speak into that situation, help her. Now, just as an aside right here, this is, this has kind of been instruction for the older women. What's the instruction for the younger women? Well, of course she's receiving the instruction from the older women, but also this, that, uh, I have been a young person, whether I'm still a young person or not. I'm, I'm not sure. It depends on who you ask, but it is not always easy for a young person to receive instruction from an older person. That, that's, that's just true. And that's probably not true for everybody. And it may be less true for, for young wives than it is for young husbands, but maybe not. But younger women, younger people in general, be willing to listen to the voice of your elders. They've been there. Listen, right? And so I just passed the 40 mark like last year. And so I don't have to listen to any elders anymore. I get to be the one to no, it turns out that I always have people older than me who've gone down this road before, right? And I really uh, entered and, you know, kind of did a backwards loop when we had a new baby all of a sudden, and I'm 41 years old and we've got a five-month-old. So I feel like I'm starting all over. So if you wanted to give me advice, now's the time to give me advice because I, I may listen. I don't know. That's an encouragement for the, for the younger women, for the younger of all of us actually to be listening so younger women are to be mentored in their family relationships. That is to love their husbands and to love their children. And then he talks there at the end of the passage uh, about being submissive to their own husbands, right? Just kind of flash forward because it's on the same subject, the middle of verse five, and be submissive to their own husband. So older women who have learned what it is to live with this heel who's her husband, right? She can look back and she can she can help a younger woman know how to walk through difficult situations, how to respect her husband when he may not always be respectable, how to submit to him when, when he's a bonehead. How do you do that? Right. An older woman knows what I'm saying and all the, everybody knows what I'm saying because we're all either the bonehead or we have to live with the bonehead one or the other. And so learn to be submissive. Uh, it, that is something an older woman has done through years of living with her husband. She knows what that looks like. And so she can help a younger woman to do the same thing because there's nothing new under the sun and the screw ups that your husband, young, young woman is making, 
the older generation made those same screw-ups and the older women know how to deal with that and so uh, that, that's part of the instruction learning how to be submissive to husbands when when it's difficult it's not an easy thing to do so their uh, younger women are to be mentored in their family relationships and just like the older women they're also to be growing in personal holiness in personal holiness They are to teach what is good, verse 3, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, in personal holiness. I'm not sure it's easy for anyone to receive counsel or instruction from someone who's older on a personal basis and in-your-face basis on purity in your own life, on your personal walk with God. Maybe I'm, you know, an exception or exceptionally proud, but when someone looks into my life, it takes a great deal often of humility for me to listen to what they say when they say, Brennan, you're really missing the mark here, or you really need to develop some self-control in this area, or you need to pursue this kind of thing, right? My flesh wants to say, well, but I'm doing a fine job. Thank you very much. So it takes, it takes some humility there. And that's, that's again, sort of what is, what's going on in this relationship between the older women and the younger women. Now, just pause right there and think for a moment of our culture. Think about where we live and how much intercommunication uh, uh, there is between generations or how much of asking older people, how do you do this, really happens in our culture. And I don't think it happens all that much. I think uh, I'm, a, I'm a kind of figured out yourself kind of guy, and I think I'm not the only one. In our culture, there's, you know, the, the older people did it their way, and we're going to come along and we're going to do it better, and we're going to do it different, and we're going to figure it out on our own. And I think there's not a lot of communication between those two. And part of what Paul has in mind here, part of his expectation for the church, since he's talking to a church, or he's talking to a pastor of a church, Part of the expectation is that there would be that sort of communication. When I'm stuck on something, to go to those who are older than me, go to those who have gone before and ask them and be willing to listen to their advice. Be willing to follow their advice. Not just figure it out with my buddies. You know, the, the, um, if you remember after flashing back in, in history to the, the, the third king of the United Kingdom of Israel was Solomon, Right, And then at his death, there became a squabble. Who was going to be king? Was it going to be this guy? Was it going to be Rehoboam? Was it going to be Jeroboam? Right? And his son was, was talking with the elders about uh, uh, how he was going to run the kingdom. And he was talking with his buddies, this, his son was, talking with his peers. And they were like, no, you should do this. And you should just stick it to the people. And you should really charge them a lot of taxes. And you should do this and that. Right? And so he's talking with his buddies. And that's the kind of information that he gets. Well, then he goes and, and talks to his dad's advisors, and they say, you know what? Solomon's taxes were pretty heavy. I bet if you backed off a little bit, and I bet if you went and took this course, you would really win the people's hearts. So he listened to that, and he went back to his buddies, and they said, no, man, stick it to them. Charge them, man. You, you are the king, and make this happen, and charge them. And that's what he did. And he was, went back to his father's advisors, and he was very offensive to them, and he took this other course of action. And what do you know? Events turned out just like the old men said they would happen. Shocker, right? Big, big news there. 
And that's kind of what, what we can do when we look to our peers to figure out how to resolve this situation instead of asking those who've gone before. And so my encouragement for all of us here is to be looking to the next generation above you and the next generation below you to see how we might be able to pass down some of the wisdom. We have some gray hair in here. I'm not sure if you noticed that. I'm guessing you guys have some stuff figured out that I don't have figured out and that our 20-somethings don't have figured out. 20-somethings and people my age, there might be some information we could get, some help we could get, some bullets we could dodge if we would talk to people who had gray hair and ask them about that situation. But it takes humility. It takes humility. And so that, that's my encouragement for us kind of broadly from this passage right here is that, uh, that we look between generations and learn from those who have gone before and not be so proud to think, nah, they, they're old. They don't, they don't know what they're talking about. Look, they, they grew up without the internet. How could they know anything? My generation, however, I also grew up without the internet, by the way. My generation, however, we've got it figured out, right? Let's, let's don't have that kind of distinction there. So it's very interesting working with high school students and talking about technology because the things that, you know, have existed literally their entire lives are brand new to, you know, to everybody else. And and I'm not even that old. So anyway, I I digress. All right. So they they are younger women are to be instructed by these older women in family relationships and and then in in personal holiness. So that means a little bit of uh, uncomfortable kind of involvement there. That doesn't mean being a Budinsky, right? And it doesn't mean that, that, that we have to, uh, um, you know, be involved in everything that everyone's got going on, but it means a willingness to be corrected by those who've gone before. And so I should be submitted and listen when I hear correction from older people and not just write it off as, uh, you know, just stay out of my business, right? This idea of self-control, uh, you look through the book of, of Titus and you'll see it again and again. And he talks to older women. He says they should be self-controlled. He talks to younger women. He says they should be self-controlled. He talks to older men. He says they should be self-controlled. And then he talks to younger men and he says they should be self-controlled. It's, it's all the way through here. This idea of self-control is a big factor in the book of Titus. Self-control. So as they're growing in their family relationships and in personal holiness, they're also to be maturing in regards to their sphere of activity, their sphere of activity. Look there in verse five, uh, the older women are teaching the, young, the younger women to love their husbands and wives, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands. So this idea of sphere of activity, I want to, I want to zoom in just for a second on this idea of working at home and that's where I want you to go back to what you wrote in your introduction. In the intro part of your notes, I won't have you read out loud because it you know, could be some other kind of comment that you didn't want to read out loud, but God values motherhood. God values motherhood enough that he would say, older women, I want you to teach these young moms to work at home and how to work at home. He values motherhood to that degree that he would give them instruction in that regard. No mother is a mother by chance or by accident. 
Everywhere in Scripture you see the creation of human life is God's province. He does that. He creates human life. No mother is a mother by chance or by accident. Nor is motherhood just a byproduct of the physical union of marriage. Ah, it's just biological. No. It is a special creative act of God. And what that means is he knew what he was doing when he chose you as a mother. It's not by chance. Nor is motherhood an accessory to life. I've got everything else going for me. Now I want to be a mom. Right? It's not an accessory to life. God's view of motherhood is higher than that. If you think about how he created man, he made a man, and how, how much would Adam have reproduced? It would have been Adam, you know, forever. But no, that's not the way he did it. He said, it's not good for man to be alone. Made a woman. Now can there be reproduction? Absolutely. And that's where we all come from. And so the idea of motherhood is crucial to what it means to be human. It's a key part of the way God has put together this whole world. That if there were not mothers, there would be none of us. And so he values motherhood very highly. He doesn't think of it flippantly. And he doesn't just throw it, throw it around by accident. This is how he has designed man. This is how he has designed us. And the way God looks at it, mothering is something worth investing your life in doing. I love, I have, I have four daughters, and I love watching them as they, as they were growing up, particularly smaller. Again, we have the little one coming along, so I get to watch her soon. But watching them play with dolls. And what do you know? They're families, and they're, they're moms, and that's naturally in what they do. Now, Gabriel plays with them. He is not a mom when he plays. He's usually shooting somebody. And <laughs> sorry, son. <laughs> the man after my own heart, that's what he is. But you watch it and you see that God has put that seed. It's not just chance and it's not just biology. We're, we, we are not a virus, okay? Uh, it, the matrix was wrong. We are not a virus. That, that has spread, right? We, we are designed by God to multiply in the way we've done. And so motherhood is a crucial and legitimate part of that. He values motherhood very, very highly and thinks that it's worth investing your life in doing. He's saying that he wants young women who are wives and mothers to devote their lives to doing those things to the best of their ability and to the glory of God to the best of their ability. Not second best, not just getting through life, but to the best of your ability. Now, at times, I flash back to grad school, right? And I should have been, you know, the best husband I could to the best of my ability, to the glory of God. And really, I was just trying to draw the next breath and not fail the next class, right? You're just getting through. But in the scheme of things, God values motherhood so high that he would have women devote themselves and do it to the best of their ability, the best they possibly can for God's glory. And that will mean sacrifices, sacrifices in their life. 
that uh, they won't always enjoy making. That's the way sacrifice is. They might have to sacrifice certain personal preferences or, or certain freedoms. But God says it is worth the investment. He's saying this is the way I have designed you to function. This is the way I have designed mankind to grow. And Paul says the same thing here. So as older women invest in younger women's lives, and as these younger women mature under the tutelage, the world is watching. The world is watching all of this stuff, and there's a result. Look how he finishes here. That the word of God may not be reviled. The world is watching. Your friends are watching. People around you are watching your lives. And this is true, of course, for all of us, right? For any of our behavior, does it, is, it, uh, is it biblical behavior? The things you do, are they honorable? Are they upstanding? Are they worthy of respect, right? People are watching and they're making judgments on who God is based upon your life. So someone who knows me but doesn't know God knows that I know God and they say, all right, we'll see how Brendan acts and we'll see what God is really like. So if I cheat them, well, either, either God is a cheat and I act just like him, or God doesn't really care if his people cheat. That's the conclusion that this person watching me might draw, right? And so we, we carry that around all the time. We bear God's name in that sense. And so we bear his character and, and we reveal his character to people, whether for good uh, or for ill, but they see God's character in us. And so he says here, he wants these, these older women to teach these younger women to behave in a certain way that the word of God may not be reviled. That the word of God may not be reviled. Christians stand out in the world. We, we should stand out in the world. And we often do. We're supposed to. We're supposed to be different. And we're supposed to be living consistently with God's word. And we cast some degree of dispersion on God's word or, or doubt on God's word or we sully God's word in a sense by our, by our character sometimes. And so here is an opportunity for, for a mom. Picture this. A young mom, how, how is she going uh, to affect the world? She's, she's taking care of toddlers. How is she going to impact the world, right? Maybe she has the gift of evangelism and she really wants to be out there evangelizing, right? How is she going to affect the world? She's got, she's got a baby in her arms and she, she's with this baby. How is she going to impact the world? Right here. Live in such a way that the word of God may not be reviled. She is an ambassador for who God is by the way she lives her life, by the choices she makes, the things that she does in her life, even in her own home. She is an ambassador and people are seeing and they are making judgments about who God is. She is actively involved in ministry by the way she's living her life with her kids. By the way she's living her life at home. The way she loves her husband when he's an idiot. The way she loves her kids when they're difficult. The way she deals with these situations. She is an ambassador for who God is to people around her. That's ministry. That's ministry. I think that's what Paul is getting at here. She's to live her life in this kind of fashion that the word of God may not be reviled. Christian's behavior is visible to the world. So our passage today is focused on women teaching women. But of course, we can draw various principles for all of us, 
And we've, we've looked at some of those as we go through this, but for, for uh, women, for men, for old and young, but we can draw some principles about leadership and about leadership development. So how do we do that? Well, first of all, the first principle is that the leader or the mentor must have a life and character worth exemplifying, worthy of exemplification, right? That our own character needs to be that, that it would be a good thing to pass that on to the next generation. So the character of the leader is important, who they are. I flash back to the politics of the, of the 90s with the president and everything that was going on with Clinton. And, and, and personal character doesn't really matter. It's what he does in office that's, that's important. That's what we were told again and again. And it's baloney. It's baloney. And that's what he's saying here. The leader or the mentor must have a life and character that's worth exemplifying. Secondly, the mentoring process includes development of spiritual life and character and skills in the learner. Spiritual life, spiritual development of the person that you're teaching and character, how that's worked out in your life and skills, how you do things. How can it be accomplished? How do you love your husband through difficult times? This is something that an older woman has to pass on to younger women. So the mentoring process includes development of spiritual life and character and skills in the learner. And thirdly, in order for the leadership development process to work, the leader or mentor must be actively invested in the development of the learner. Actively invested. You see, if, if, if the women, the older women in this passage were as godly as possible, just saints, but they didn't teach that to the younger generations, the younger generation has to find their way there on their own, somehow, without the benefit of the people who've gone before. And so the process requires an active investment on the part of those who have gone that route. The part of those who have learned those things are farther down the road, are wiser. So there needs to be an active investment. And so this is obviously clearly applicable in the church, broadly applicable in the church. If you think about discipleship, you think about developing new leaders for a particular ministry or or, uh, somewhere in life, or you're just investing in this person to mentor them, your own character matters. You're going to develop character in them. You're going to develop their spiritual life and teach them certain skills. But you have to be actively invested, actively invested. In, this, in the Christian life, there is no such thing as retirement from ministry. You get old, pass it on to people who are younger. You've learned some things, pass them on. I will tell you, we need those things that you have learned, I would benefit from. Others would benefit. Be active in passing those on. So our passage today, I, I try not to be too hard on moms. I hope I didn't uh, scare anybody. I don't think I did. But our passage today talks about Older women passing on to younger women the things that that they need for life and godliness in the church, the things that they need for growth in their family. And I want to conclude just with this, uh, this passage here at the end of Proverbs 31. This is how Proverbs 31 concludes. Talking about this godly woman, what she's like. It says, her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. 
many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruits of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. And so moms, we celebrate you on Mother's Day. We rejoice that we get to know you and we have benefited immensely and still benefit immensely from your investment. Thank you. Thank you for following Jesus. Thank you for being patient with us. We praise the Lord for for our moms. Let me pray for you. Lord, thank you that you have given me a mother. You have given me a wife who's a mother. I have many mothers in my life who have invested in me, who have taken care of me and And uh, I have not always been easy to take care of. Lord, I thank you for mothers and the gift that they are to all of us. You have blessed us. You have uh, graced us in amazing ways with them. And I thank you and praise you. And I pray for your blessing on them this day. I pray that they would feel celebrated, that they would uh, feel loved, that they would experience the love that we have for them and that we would be good at showing that and they would be good at receiving it. Lord, I pray for those who are hurting this Mother's Day uh, because of loss in their family, because of loss of friendship, because uh, um, of some other pain in their life. I pray that you would bless them and that this would be a day where you show very special and tender concern and comfort in their lives, that they would that they would know healing from you, that they would be encouraged by you. I pray that you would do this in their lives. Lord, thank you for our moms. Thank you that you've given them to us. You, you've given us so many graces, so many blessings, and moms are uh, certainly high on that list. So Lord, we thank you and we praise you today. Ask for your blessing on all of us as we go out, as we uh, eat dinner, uh, give flowers and cards and, and help us to love on the moms in our lives. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Brennan, thank you so much. Um, an excellent message here. And I wanted to step up and mention a couple of things as we wrap up our time here this morning. Um, we're doing this because uh, the elders at our retreat uh, recognize a need. And uh, the, the, the very theme of what Brennan has preached on the last three weeks, um, homegrown leaders, that's what we want to continue with the next three weeks Um, leadership from the perspective of the church. And so um, I'll be preaching the next three uh, on on that very theme. We'll continue on with a leadership theme. Then uh, I think it's wise to uh, inform you of what's to come for the summertime and that you'd be praying with us on these issues. Our summer Sunday school series will start a new series um, in the fellowship hall, Unlocking the Mysteries of Genesis. And we want to encourage you to come to that. It's an excellent series. I will be teaching a new members class for anyone that's interested. Um, If you've been here a long time and you haven't become a member and you'd like to check it out, come and see that Sunday school class, be a part of that. If you're new and you're interested, um, we encourage you to come to the new members class. It'll start June 7. And then um, our summer sermon series... Uh, we will be preaching through a, a journey through the Psalms. We're not going to cover every Psalm, but we will be preaching on the Psalms. 
And so we are excited about that also. Um, then finally, uh, that May 24 uh, church picnic in the park. We've got some new families here. We'd like to encourage you to join us. It's a great way to get to know some of the folks in our congregation. And we do have some new families here. We want to encourage you who are regulars to seek them out and introduce yourself. And uh, that's enough of me. And happy Mother's Day. You're dismissed. <laughs> <laughs>